Hi everyone, this is Spit Grace. This is our second favourite Christmas or festive horror. Ignore the winter horror, that doesn't count. And tonight we're talking about our, our second favourite festive horror films, which I'm sure you're all going to love because they're all really fucking good, except for Christmas Trace, but that's fine. I would just like to point out, this isn't my sec- second favourite horror. I didn't know until we were discussing that this was an option. Because if this had been an option a year ago, I would have picked this. So this is technically my favourite, but I didn't know it was an option. Although, to be fair, it's not really an option. You've cheated, you've gone against the grain, you've picked something that's not a horror film, standard there, but we let it slide because on a previous episode, Chris picked something that was not technically a film. Otherwise, we would not have accepted your submission. Should we kick off with mine or...? Uh, let's kick off with yours, Faye, because it's the oldest one and the least desirable. Fucking rude. So rude. Right. So, get ready, Caitlin. Make sure you've got, like, a dry pad underneath you or something. I went with 2000's The League of Gentlemen Christmas Special, because, bitch, it is the best thing about Christmas. Fact. Everybody knows it. And I don't, I don't even need the claps. It does not need the claps. It speaks for itself. Uh, it's following on from series two I believe so it's the end of series two and we're going into the Christmas special and it's a classic Dickensian Scrooge's tale where Bernice is holed up in the church and she's visited by three people who all bring their own story to the table and in true League of Gentlemen style it's grotesque it's hilarious and it's really wrong on some levels, like really wrong, but it's also got some really right in it. So the first tale that we have is from Charlie and he's talking about a dream he had where uh, Stella was being as nasty to him as she usually is and he takes up line dancing and she wants to see him fail and we start to go into this eyes wide shut scenario where she goes and pledges something to a group of masked women from Royston Vase. So you've got Pauline in there. Uh, you've got Val. You've got like all little regulars dotted about. Um, and she ends up failing Charlie at this competition has gone into. But the price of it is that the lover she's seeing ends up getting his throat slit and she gets done for it. Would anybody like to discuss this first segment? Because we are going to go through all three segments. I love the first segment, actually. Um I think the toxic relationship between Stella and um, Charla is incredible. My favourite scene in the entire episode of this film or TV series, because we're cheating. Special, of this special. TV series. Uh, My favourite scene is the whole argument between Stella and Charla while they're putting the Christmas decorations up (laughs) and they keep calling out to their daughter. Uh, Who's not there? Who we find out is dead. Some series oh, on. She died. Mm, she died. So was, I'm gonna. I'm gonna lay on the line. She died. Stella. I had to buy the full series of League of Gentlemen, so I could watch the Christmas episode. Oh, feel for you. This is this is not a League of Gentlemen slag off, okay? Because we're not having that. There's enough people in this room that will come to my defence. So you know, slag it off at your peril. That's up to you. Um, do, just. I'm just saying I had to buy it to like watch the Christmas episode and I'll tell you something for the cost which was only 1999 mm-hmm. I was very glad that I bought the series for the episode because the episode is, oh, is. Vet section. it's fucking amazing don't underestimate that we will come around to that i still think that's a really funny segment in its own way um but did charlie and stella not remind you of your parents like yes. i seem to ha- i seem to remember my parents bickering like this when i was younger yes that's like what parents used to do as well back in the day i don't know if they do it anymore like maybe they've grown and developed but yeah back in the day parents always used to like pull you into their argument because you will take a side and that makes them win mm-hmm. um, but yeah it was terrible it was very emotional watching it the um th- this segment in particular it has it has a lot of nods in it more so than anything um particularly like nods to other shows and whatnot 
Um, in particular, when they are when they when she does go to the meet and you notice they're drinking milk, which to me seems like a bit of a throwback to Stanley Kubrick doing Clockwork Orange at the Maloko bar sort of thing, and obviously they're doing eyes wide shut. And it is one of the <laughs> not the funniest line delivery in this special which I've already discussed with Mitch, we will get to that. Um, but he does have one of the funniest when Stella rocks up to the place and she's supposed to give the password. <laughs> he goes, password, please. Pran tears. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucking funny. The whole segment is hilarious. To be, and- to be fair, I know Mercer and Moan be slagging the show and I don't care for Lee Gentlemen per se, but I think the Christmas special is genuinely great i do really really enjoy it it's not just the dialogue it's all the sight gags like rocking up with a postman pat mask on (laughs) it's also like in this segment as well it's all of the little like other league characters that they managed to somehow shoehorn and sandwich in like when she does go into the like the the cult and you've got pam duke and you've got pauline with her pen it's like it's it doesn't feel forced either but it's just a, it's a a love letter to people that like the series that that's the thing about this special as well, like they do with Apocalypse, is they choose characters that you wouldn't necessarily expect them to choose. Um, so like, you know, I, you could have had Tubbs and Edward in there, you could have had Val, and you could have had uh, Mrs. Levinson, and all, you know, like really strong characteristic characters. The ones that sell it, to- yeah. Yeah, but they te- but they tend to go against against the grain with it, like they did with Apocalypse, where they focused on Hillary Briss and Jeff. But they don't tend to go with, and I don't actually think Tubbs and Edward are in this at all. No, they're not. No, which no. is which is surprising. So well, that no. is your your most familiar characters. To be fair, there they do pick some very strong characters. Yeah, so, yeah. Like Charlie and Stella, and then we've got Helen. Yes. And let's let's move on to the second segment, shall we? Let's Come move on. on now. Let's do it. So this this segment is my favourite. It the story is fantastic. It's just a proper love letter to Salem's Law. And you know what once you know the twist that's coming in this one, because you have to have a twist. Once you've got the twist, once you know the twist is coming, it's so obvious the whole way through of who it should be. Just looking at Mark Gatiss's face and that kind of vampiric is that right word vampiric i don't know if that's a word sorry i'm I'm for pause and cross i don't know anyway he's got that shape of his face to him so you, you should be able to know where it's going but the best thing about this segment more than anything is what you feel for her lip because it's a genuinely touching story all this guy wants is love all he wants is to be accepted why are you looking like that I, I've got a different reading of the story for me. That's just me. <laughs> the, the whole story for me is him trying to get with Matthew. And I know that Matthew is a young guy, but I don't think he's underage. I think right. he's of age. So I think that's all right. He's very, he seems very much like one of the Sopranos when they, they're, they're revered and wanted because their voice stays like that when they're older. For me, that was the most, like, confusing part of this episode, which was, like, um, he comes to join the choir, and the children in the choir are clearly very young. The queer boys. only not the yeah. queer boys. He's clearly not a very young queer boy. Uh, he's, like, definitely, like, a lot older. The main thing about this is that her lip is so heartbroken. Mm. And and I didn't know. I think I think the line comes. Did you say the line comes from Dracula? The the absence of love is the most abject pain. Dracula and his bride, or something. It's yeah. from an old horror. It's a heartbreaking line. It's horrible, and all he wants is acceptance. And when he thinks that he's rejecting him because he's because of his sexuality, it's devastated and it's horrible. And I kind of love the way that like the interpretation of like when um, Matthew is like, I know what you are. And he's very like you're a vampire, but the reality is that Harlip's like a homosexual man who's really struggling with that. Mm-hmm. I think that's really cool the way that like it's it's kind of cool but also kind of terrible the way that it's like you're not a good person because of who you are. Th- this was like seventies are... Germany though. This was not. This was a time when it wasn't. Fu- I, I'm saying this like it's some sort of documentary or something. This was when it wasn't fully accepted. This was it this was frowned was, upon. Yeah, gay vampires <laughs> in the old Eastern Bloc were very much frowned upon. <laughs> I 
and th this segment as well also has one of the most terrifying imagery of the whole thing. In fact, like of the whole thing that League of Gentlemen have ever done, when he has the dream and Matthew's in the wardrobe and his eyes and his mouth are sewn up, it looks terrifying. Oh, I think when he's on the ceiling is like proper, yeah, that's even yeah. Salem's lot vibe as that's, well. Yeah, that is really uh, a really cool scene. The worst scene in this is when the kids get their tea and they all are clearly struggling. <laughs> to like um, deal with these teeth that they've got. Oh, so you were gonna say when uh, when hair lips drinking the tomato juice, it's just like dribbling down his Why? <laughs> Why? Why does he do that? Like, because it's disgusting. Because it makes him look like a vampire. And he's, thinking, he's a pedophile, obviously. It's implied. Um, it's implied. That's what I loved about it is that the pathos is like, oh no no, I'm not a vampire. I'm just a pedophile, and they're all like, oh my god for that. I, that's what I love. I think that's so darkly hilarious. It's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. fantastic segment. And ends brilliantly as well, where Mark Gates turns out to be the the head vampire. And uh, yeah, proper gone full. Um, the master on us. It's brilliant. Mm -hmm. And then we move on to the last segment, which uh, Mercer didn't fully gel with earlier. The vet veterinarian. Vet veterinarian? Veterinarian? Veterinarian. Which veterinarian? Veterinarian. The vet one. Move on to the bet one. Yeah. I think th this segment is clearly written by Gates. It's it's very much a Gates vehicle, and it's got his fucking typey fingerprints all over it, which I love. I love his writing. I, I, I love his style. I love his direction. Um, and you know, you could write it off as being not not as interesting as the others, but it's got the best line of the set of the special in it, and a gag that just makes me piss myself. Like, honestly, it's the funniest thing. Uh, we, we, for anybody who hasn't seen it, uh, the end segment is basically Dr. Chinnery talking about his origins and why he ends up killing animals where he does and why he can't ever seem to save them. And it turns out that years upon years ago, his ancestors went to, um, I don't know how you describe them, and, and another another vet, basically, to, to practice. And uh, a curse ends up being handed down to him um, that was given to the other guy by the Mah Maharaja. I can't get these words out. My apologies. Um, and he, it passes on to him. And that's why he essentially cannot keep an animal alive. Every every animal he touches dies. The, the whole Majolica bit is funny as fuck. I don't care what you say. Like the going around on the bike, around the desk, I'm like, oh, I hear that the locomotive is going to be, uh, the, what is it? Something like, the bike is going to be the main form of transport. It's just, it's just fucking funny the whole way through. Um, See, so I love this section. I love the look of it. I, I love the whole kind of Dickensian, Victorian, kind of, I love Mark Gatiss and his take on it. I'm, I very much, out of all of them, Mark Gatiss is the one who's writing, I very much gel with the most. He's very much got that classic horror kind of dark sensibility that I can really get on board with classic Mm. horror rather than just obviously Reese and Steve are great and they do dark twisted comedy horror better than anyone but it's just something with that just classic ghost feel that is just really warm and snug and Mark Gaze does absolutely brilliantly I can really get on board with he does he absolutely does and like I was saying earlier this is it's so throwaway like I, I think unless you'd watched it multiple times you probably wouldn't even register it but when he hears the Here's Magnus crying and Magnus Purbine crying in the night. And he kind of, he's been told under no circumstances to go and see him because it's obviously a ruse because they know he's going to go see him to have this curse passed on, touch the monkey's nuts, which should be the funniest bit, but it isn't. So as he's going to these rooms, um, he opens the door and there's a woman there wailing in a rocking chair going, Aah! he's like, Mr. Purbine, he's like, next, da. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's so stupid. It's proper stupid. But it's my favourite line out of the whole thing. It makes me piss. And obviously when he gets back to uh, the city as well, because he's terrified and runs back to Royston Vaser, I think he's working on a rabbit and the rabbit's eyes shoot out and it just causes complete chaos and there's a circle out a circus outside. Um and all the animals start dying. And it's just the fact you're watching them die, and then he's just stood there and this fucking zebra's head just comes through the window and I piss myself. And the cat just rolling around on the wheel. It's so dark. Just pressure on the orbital nerve. Just a little, just a little tap. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
He's so good. He's so brilliant. Yeah, and then by this point in the special, Benice is all like cheery and uplifted at all these stories, going, no, you create your own destiny. You go and do what you got to do. And then obviously we get the wraparound, which is a nod to uh, Tales from the Crypt, the Santa Claus segment. I totally forgot what you call it. The one with John Collins in. Um, and it turns out that when, when Benice was younger, um, her mother was abducted by Papa Lazarou and it's traumatised her and that's why she doesn't like Christmas. And Papa Lazarou bags her over Ed, chucks her out back at the sleigh and drives off into the night. It's proper hectic, the end. It is. It, like, it comes at you so quick and it is genuinely quite upsetting. Yeah. Which is great. That's what you want for Christmas. Well, just, you want. just leave, I... <laughs> leave them feeling miserable. That's what it's <laughs> I got to say, there's another image in this, in the veterinary segment, segment, where the little guys going round and round on that bike in circles, and it really set me about, and I don't know why. I've had two things happen this Christmas, where I've seen something Christmassy. One was Muppet's Christmas Carol, and that fucked me up again. That fucking poached egg? <laughs> it wasn't even the poached egg, it's the Marley's, but the poached egg is the best. But also, no, just this this little cunt going round on his mini tricycle, round and around, and I don't, I, I, I need him to stop. I need it to stop now. It's because it's so chaotic, like you say, it's just so manic. Yeah. And you don't know why he's doing it or why he's coming at you that quick. Yeah, brilliant. Have, have you guys anything else to say about it? How amazing it is. And welcome. This was my first time seeing it as well. Like, really? So, uh, yeah, I don't know how, but my um, my DVD collection of League doesn't have it in. So it's I've a just, separate I just DVD. Com- yeah, yeah, I just completely overlooked it. Um, kind of like I did with the Psychoville Halloween special as well for years and years and years. Um, so yeah, BBC they need to get on it. They need to, or or uh, this Pemberton and Reese lads. They just need to self promote a little bit better, maybe. But no, I, I missed out on this one. So it was a proper discovery for me. I thought it was amazing. As I say, the big. Sorry, I was going to say the biggest compliment I can give it. As I said, is the fact that I don't care hugely for league, and I absolutely love this. I could quite happily sit down and watch it again at any point. Did you uh, notice, Mitch, as a first-time watcher, the um, the tie-in joke between this Christmas special and Devil at Christmas? No. Did so when, uh, when Stella is on the toilet, she's talking to Lisa Tarbuck about going to this therapy session to the people, mm-hmm. and um, she goes, it's not one of these hypnotists, is it? Because my friend so-and-so did that, and now every time she hears Neil Sedarka, she has to eat an, eat an onion as if it's an apple which incidentally is apparently what Fred West did, which is, I think Caitlin told me that, fucked up. Um, So that also, that line also gets told in Devil at Christmas by the girl who's getting taken away by Krampus. I've not watched Devil at Christmas enough to know names as yet, Mm. apart from Klaus. (laughs) But that line is also in Devil at Christmas, which was a nice little nod, I thought. So yeah, League of Gentlemen Christmas special is obviously going to be the best out of anything that we bring to the table today. I'm just warning you about that. You started off with the best. Now it's time to just slip into a coma for the rest. <laughs> Sorry, just spitting facts. You're spitting rice, spitting facts like you spit rhymes. <laughs> well then, with that gauntlet thrown down, I think I'm going to go next because um, you obviously took things a little bit dark there. You had, um, is it, that was just your first brain talking, I think, with that because Bulges aside, it is a film about paedophiles and spousal abuse and kidnap. Um, so I am going to brighten it up with my choice for my favourite festive horror, because I think the season is all about sparkles and joy, just like me right now. Um, now, a lot of people debate, like, what is a Christmas film? I think some people in this room have already had that debate with me over this film. But um, no, I will be vehemently defending it as a Christmas film as such, because my choice it is objectively the best film, so I'm not even going to be bothering defending it as a film or selling it as a film, but I'll be selling it as a Christmas film um, to everyone. But my film does contain, like the season, lots of red, um, a child being born, um, and a big present being opened quite delicately towards its finale. Um <laughs> My uh, favourite festive horror film is uh, from 2007, the French extremism classic, Inside. 
by Alexandra Bustillo and Julian Morey because it is a Christmas film. Yes, applause, applause. Yes, it is a Christmas film. How can we not think it's a Christmas film, mate? It's like we count down the days on a calendar until Christmas Day. It takes place on Christmas Eve in the Christmas Day. Exactly. Thank. Well, I'm I'm glad two out of the three agree. That's how we go. That's just how we were. Just majority rules. I'm not saying I disagree. I just I didn't. I'm not saying I disagree. I was vetoed from being allowed to talk about this, so I I pretended that I was going to do Christmas Carol, and now I'm doing Inside. It was all fake. It was all fake. But no. So in for those of you that don't know, Inside is pretty fucked up. and it is wonderful. It is delightful. It is about, um, we are doing spoilers, so I'm going to do spoilers. I've already spoiled the ending anyway. So uh, it is about this lady called Sarah who um, is in a car accident, who loses her boyfriend, um, who is the father of her unborn child. However, her child is still safe. She's not exactly the most cheery. She's not wanting to do Christmas too much. But nonetheless, she's enduring. And on Christmas Eve, like Chris said, um, she is uh, set about on by a kind of an assailing force, this woman dressed in black who comes knocking at her door, um, wanting to have a little chat, maybe a cup of tea, maybe rip her baby out of her uterus. You know, one of the above. Um, of course, We've all been there. Yeah, Sarah's not too jazzed about that, so she tries to say no, but this woman, and we'll soon find out, is quite tenacious. Now, does anyone want to pitch in at this point just to talk about inside? Because it is fucking insane. Just just before <laughs> saying about saying about first traps, and since Reese has already been mentioned, Beatrice Dahl in this, anyone who grew up and saw her in Betty Blue, and that's their first introduction, Beatrice Dahl. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't say the CGI baby or the vomit cat for that. I wondered where we were going. I wondered where we were going there. In yeah. the spirit of darkness. Because this isn't the most sexy of films. I don't, I don't know. Like, there's, men, there's many superlatives I will give it. Um, there's a, there's on the penetration. Scale, sexy what, is not one of them. What, what if you're into hand stabbing porn? Awesome. Could be sexy. This is true. I find yeah. it a massive turn on. Well, you can defend that when you do sexiest horrors for um, his, for sixty nine day. He gets his head massively blown. Hey! <laughs> and she does get many doors blown out. Not ba- not back doors though. No, one of the doors that was retained safely. So yes, queer rights says inside. Inside, as well as being insane, I do find massively depressing as well. Because that poor woman, she's had a fucking year of it. Right? No, she, no, no, no. She might have had a, she might have had a great first eight months. Because <laughs> obviously, it's only the, it's only the former, it's only the former from the crash up to when she gives birth. Her boyfriend might have been an absolute twat as well. So first eight months, she might have won the lottery. She might have got a promotion. She's having a great year. <laughs> it's just all for. I'll say she might have had a poor third of a year. But no. The the one the one thing with inside, I do I do find some of the time when they do because they tend to show a lot of scenes where they're focusing on the baby and mm. how the baby's reacting, which is a really clever idea, might I add. Um, I do find some of the CGI with it a bit sketchy, but not as sketchy as the remake because that shit. Oh Jesus no no Christ. no! We don't go there. We don't go there. No. Um, but this the practical effects that they use are outstanding. Like, there is some horrible, nasty stuff in <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah. Really this horrible. This film is extreme in its violence. Mm. And I don't know, like, sometimes, like, you might think that's a little bit too much. But I almost feel like it works. Yeah. With totally. this. Um, but it's really confusing because, like, La Femme, I don't know what La Femme's actual name is. That's just it's her name. It's yeah. just yeah. La Femme. Entity, now. It's like faceless entity, yeah. Or, or, yeah. or nameless like, entity. Faceless. Faceless. She's not faceless, she's just nameless. No, she's got a uh, face. But the, yeah, the violence that she inflicts, I don't know. It's it's a bit weird because, like, I don't know where it comes from. I, like, I get that, like, obviously, twist in the film is that she lost her child in the car crash, mm-hmm. but. Like, the violence that she inflicts is fucking intense. I think it's, I think it's supposed, to, I imagine if you ask the director, they'll say it's very much symbolising the grief after that loss as vengeance rather than 
anything else. Hmm. So, I mean, with the violence, sorry, I was going to say, with the violence, I'm not sure if I'm just hardened to this now, because obviously you say it's French Extreme. There's a lot of stuff where you go, ooh, but a lot of it is not comical, over-the-top, Evil Dead style splat. A lot of it, you sit there and go, ha, ha, look at that. You, you, you sit there and do that. That's you. You laugh at anything that happens like that. It's just you. Chris, when did you first watch this film? The other day. Oh, okay. wow. Okay. Like, if you consider the fact like it's 2007, mm-hmm. if you watch this film in 2007, the violence and the gore in this film, I think, is intense. Like, today we're so, I think, like, 2021, we're so used to, like, the kind of violence that's inflicted, especially against men. So, obviously, with men, the obvious thing to do is to attack someone's genitalia. Like, in 2007, that felt a little bit more harsh. No, that's better. But as I say, that's why I asked whether it's just, whether I'm just now hardened to it or whether it was just that little bit. Over top. But as you say, it might just be that I've nowadays I've exposed to that kind of level of violence in film that it's not as shocking as it would be if I'd have viewed it back then. But to be fair, Chris, even now I watched that film and I was like, fuck, this is intense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Going like, back going back as well to the um how can she be so harsh sort of thing, it might also be um a commentary on like you you said that when mothers know that their child's in danger, they develop like superhuman strength. Yeah. So it could be that she is literally developing that because she wants this child so bad and she wants this child to survive. Yeah. But it's, that's what they're both doing, though. It's both a yeah. testament to, like, maternity and motherhood. They are both acting, like, for pure survival, really, even Lefebvre. Because I don't think that she's necessarily an antagonist in this. She's acting out of grief, in a way. No, I get your face, Mercer. Like, obviously, the things, the things she she's is. doing is deplorable, um, but... She is doing anything she can to get her what she sees in her head as her child back. Her child was taken from her um, from this this car accident, and they weren't paying much attention to the road. So you could say maybe there's some negligence in there as well. And they also do portray Sarah to be a not particularly caring or empathetic mother. Um, no. So in in a way, could it be argued is she? Saving this baby? Yeah, because I was going to say, because obviously at the start when she's talking to the nurse in the hospital, she's in fact, she's very much just fuck off. Yeah, she's very much just fuck off. When the nurse comes down and starts saying, that's why I wouldn't, it's like, are we supposed to have huge sympathy for her character or are we supposed to have a slight annoyance that she's this kind of slightly brusque, irritable photographer in vain? Because when she's sitting on the bench, she's just snapping that couple. Mm-hmm. No permission, no permission wanted, just invasion of their sure. privacy. She's snapping a couple with a child. Let's be fair, it's four months after her crash where she's lost her partner, who she's had a, like, developed a life with. And if we think back to every other character in that film, they very much just want her to move on. Yeah. Like, the mother is like, do you not want to date someone else? Her exactly. boss is like, when are you just going to come back to work? Like, they want her to just, like, forget or move on from what's a very traumatic experience in her life. Right. And I don't know. I think as well, with like, with a child, if you, I don't know, I'm not a parent, but I think, like, if I was, like, I don't know, carrying a child and then losing the person that, like, gave you that child, like, what impact does that have on you? Like, are you going to love this child? Are you going to worry about the fact that this child is going to forever remind you of the person that you loved and you wanted to have the child with? And she's definitely not a bad mum. Like, she wants to defend her child, I think, throughout the film. Am I right? I will, I will say there are, there are some comments in the chat just saying that they've not seen this. So, I mean, for like the next five minutes, I don't know if you want to mute because there's quite a big spoiler well, Mitch, Mitch, t- Mitch told him the spoiler we're in the first 30 yeah. seconds oh. of discussing, yeah, the, discussing the film. So. Stop being parental. If you want to like, you... whether we've done something already. I will anyone, stab and... you in the throat with a spike, Mercer. Make no anyone, who doesn't want the, anyone who doesn't want the film <laughs> spoiled, if you want to invent a time machine, go back and then mute yourself. That's fine. Or mute Earth, sorry. Just what? one quick thing. Just I want to, I know he's going to I just want to say one very quick thing before he goes on and makes the next point he wants to, because it's right at the very start. Of the before he goes on, he 
I said, before you, before you go on to make your next point, Mitch, thank you very much. <laughs> now, now, calm down, brown cow. Right, just before, <laughs> as I say, I won't, I won't think to mention it otherwise, and it's something that rarely I would have any interest in. You're saying about stuff that puts you about earlier with the child on the tricycle. The opening credits with the weird kind of weedy, imposing, kind of slightly moving across, digging in where not wanted kind of style is actually really, really unsettling. I'm not sure if anyone else actually picked up on it. It's not just it's not just a pit, plain block. When you watch the opening to it and you watch how the names come up and then they snake off as if they're weeds, as if they're kind of just impacting and like just blood. sneaking in and just sliding. <laughs> And it yeah. like blue. They're separated. white though. I'm saying it's, it's why they look there. It looks for me. I say I took I took that from it. I find that really oddly brilliant in a credit sequence. So I would never normally feel the need to mention. Hmm. I did not like the credit sequence. I was really confused by. Um, but is it her scan? Is that what we're watching? I think so. Yeah, because it's it's setting up you seeing kind of in utero stuff of the baby. Am I thinking something completely different? I am. I think I am. Ignore it. Sorry, Mitch. Your, your next point. Sorry. I just thought Mercer touched on something interesting that I hadn't even thought of, but like centering this again around it being a Christmas movie. But when when Mercer was um, kind of touching upon her family, going, "Oh, well, you need to move on. When are you going to get a partner?" How much is that like a common rhetoric of the going home to Christmas tropes? Like, "Oh, have you got a girlfriend yet? Come on, Ooh. you need to now cheer up. It's Christmas." Like. The whole concept for me of like, I, I guess I'll just take this opportunity to say why I think Inside is, a, is an amazing Christmas movie in particular, um, is that not everyone views Christmas as some happy-go-lucky holiday of joy and cheer. Uh, some find like the whole societal obligation of gift buying or family gatherings is just absolutely soul-crushing. Some people are processing trauma or grief and the idea of having to put on a veneer and be happy is just even more depressing like the holiday doesn't universally bring happiness to all um to some the holiday is just pain it's kind of remembering things that you've lost in the past um but christmas is this unstoppable forced enjoyment this this thing that barrages down on all of us from about mid-november whether you're going to tesco or you're just watching the ad breaks and the femme is the personification of this christmas spirit she is this unrelenting unstoppable force of nature that you cannot hide from you you cannot uh, impose no authority can can stop it actually reaching you and it's kind of in, just like Christmas infects society for some people, um, La Femme is just this once this thing that once it gets in, once you let it in, it could kill you and it could steal everything you want from it. And it's that's why I like Inside as almost like a, a counterpoint to Tim Allen's The Santa Claus 2, uh, because it is so quintessentially a part of Christmas <laughs> for so many people in that it is just raw and unrelenting and unavoidable and inescapable and and bleak and depressing as fuck yes yeah (laughs) and like i say what is christmas but not for the birth of a little baby jesus lo behold a child is born and before we get to little baby jesus or little baby sprogs out of belly can we just take a minute to talk about the poor guy who's shackled to a cop <laughs> who gets caught up in all this through no fault of his own. Well, poor lad. He's a criminal thing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No, no. Oh, I made, a, I literally, I've put in all caps in my notes. Don't talk about cops on spit grades again, or Mercer will get upset. So I'm not going to say anything about what the film could be saying about the police force, except that they do set it, as many, many French extremist films do, are set during the riots in the Mm. early 2000s in France, which was specifically about police brutality. And the police in this film are catastrophically imbecilic. Um, They really are. You don't notice that the partners have gone missing for like an hour uh-huh. they're supposed to go do other jobs it's like who's calling and, in and they literally let la femme in like i think um 
Kate did mention this, and maybe we'll circle back to it because it's so easy to get overwhelmed with like the violence of Inside. But something that's so incredible, what my favourite shot in the whole film is not violence attached at all, but the creepiness of the start, where it literally is this this home invasion, this home infiltration by La Femme. Literally, the police are talking to her, um, talking to Sarah, and saying, "Oh, it's all fine, it's all fine," and they're stood in the doorway, and she just sneaks on in the background. Like, full-on Scooby-Doo's it into that house. It's great. And I, uh, just all of that stuff at the very, very beginning of Sarah in the house is so, so terrifying. Yeah. To be fair, the cops also are not, like, portrayed as, like, complete imbeciles in this film, even though we like to think they are. So the fact that they speak to the femme and then walk away and go, actually, like, the woman we're supposed to be looking at is a heavily pregnant woman. Yeah, but they had to go away and come back. No, I agree. They literally did a spit take, yeah. They were like, Mercer, I actually actually agree with you. There'd be so many films where they just go, oh, we've just spoken to the wrong person, and they just leave rather than actually notice notice those kind of details. And that would be a typical trope of horror movies. Like, oh, God, we've been a mistake. Oh, a typical trope of actual real life. A typical. Typical trope. A tropical trope. You like Sebastian. Like, I was full on like Sebastian the crab from Little Mermaid as well. A tropical trope. I feel like this is the least professional that you have ever been for. I found my fucking son out. <laughs> it's like a cop. Um, but no, I do think that um, I don't think the police are portrayed as complete imbeciles in this film. I mean, they get shot in the face with a flag gun, so. <laughs> shot, Mitch. I've never been shot in the face with a flag gun, and I've got a pretty good IQ score, just saying. <laughs> but I'm extrapolating from that. Yeah, so we can now move on to Baby Jesus if you want, or, yeah. And how, how Baby Jesus comes into the world, which is horrible. You guys have got, you, you guys have got like, you know, you're, you're cutting off of dicks and stuff like that, which is horrible to watch, I will say. But mm-hmm. this. Mm. Uh, oh, I love the, the, I love the fact that there is like crotch, tra- like male crotch trauma in this, but I'd genuinely like forgotten that that was a thing until Chris brought it up because it is like, on this ranking list of horrible things that happens, it's like number thirty three in the film. Because um, yeah. for me, like the most like gut bustingly violent thing in the whole film is like the toaster hit, which is all yeah. all I'll say at the moment. But someone swings a toaster at something, and it is just like oh, uh, just this horrible blunt force trauma that starts a chain of events. Quick question: After the toaster hit, um, Sarah's got a massive well, which has gone very quickly for the rest of the film. Mm. Well, maybe you should write to the director and tell him that. I did write to the director. It's your duty as a fan. Because? As a host of a a a well-renowned podcast. Sarah is the metaphorical embodiment of Mary. So she can automatically recover from from any sudden welt occurrences. She needs to bleed after she gets stabbed in the belly button. Mm. It's like that superhero mum strength, so she's like Wolverine as well. Just starts healing, it's fine. So, I mean, the, the minute that those fucking scissors go through that belly button, uh, I wanted to vom. I mean... It's horrible. Just from the minute... It's not that, real, but... Just from the minute, like, she goes into the bathroom and gets, like, this massive fuck-off pair of, of fabric shears and then a, and a jar of what we presume is, like, ethanol or something... And it's shot so sumptuously with like just a forebode that you know what's coming and you know that it's this inevitability of the whole film. Just like Christmas Day is. Christmas Day for Caesarean. Are, are, are you saying that the baby coming out is, is akin to family coming round and ruining your Christmas? Is that what? Uh, it's, it's right. So what I'm saying is, sorry everyone that hasn't seen this, but um, Sarah having her unborn baby of her deceased boyfriend forcibly cut from her womb on Christmas Eve is the same as me having to open a Lynx Africa gift set for my nan. That's what I'm saying. And that is why this is the perfect this is why it's the perfect Christmas film. It's because sometimes life comes at you hard, man. Hey, who has a big fuck-off jar of ethanol 
anyway, kick her out. And B, how sharp? She, I can't get. I haven't got scissors. Photographer. I haven't got scissors. Photographer. She's in a bathroom. Yes, you have to keep it in a safe place away from children. Yeah, fair. Enough. And B, I've got scissors that can't cut wrapping paper. Who fuck has got a pair of scissors that sharp? Because you live post inside, you don't know the social ramifications that this film made. Think back to your life in 2006. Did you have big scissors? Probably did, buddy. Probably did. Yeah. 2006 was a massive scissor shortage where we were. Uh, like riots and everything. We did have them. Then that woman broke into my house and uh, <laughs> stole my baby. So got, got rid of that. And I mean, like, there are some bits in this film that I still... I, I do think this is a genuinely perfect film. Like, I, hand on heart, would say this is a, a like a 10 out of 10 modern classic it's probably in my top 20 of all time there are still bits that i go hmm that's a choice was the remake did we watch we watched the remake in glasgow yeah that that was martyrs that was martyrs no 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 we watched the remake of inside at fright first why (laughs) which one nichols and um monica not monica belucha uh the girl who's in like sunset beach Um, which one was the one where she went in the swimming pool? Inside. That's, that's the remake of Inside. Fucking hated that scene more than anything. That was the worst, because the remake is not like the end of this Inside no, at no. all. Neither is Martyrs. So. Yeah, don't watch it. No. Piece of shit. Least favourite really of all time. Really, really bad. Completely <laughs> undermines the point of the film. Completely! Fucking Americans. I don't know. Jesus Christ. No offence to any Americans listening, but no, you, don't, you don't always need a happy ending. Offence. Offence. crazy. A time for your sins. We're going to release this, aren't we? Yeah, there are Americans. Um, and, I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep talking so you can't edit around it. All Americans are to blame for American remakes. All of you. Mercy, yeah. you went, there are Americans, like they might be fictional. Like they may be made up. No, I do believe there are Americans. (laughs) Yeah, please take that quote out of context so I can gift the shit out of it. The only American I know is my my king, lord and saviour, Donald Trump. Right, Mitch, mute him. That's it, we're done. Imagine, though, like, because, like, bless him, he is a little snowflake. Imagine Donald Trump watching this film. Like, uh, often with, like, some of my favourite films that, like, err on the particular extreme side, um, I do love to picture people I really dislike having to watch it. Kind of like Christmas. I, I'm raining this in, guys. I'm raining this in. Mitch. Yes. What's your, what's your closing statement? My closing inside? statement is that Inside, it's a perfect film in and of itself, and it's clearly the very, very best film that we're going to have on display today. Outright carte blanche. It is bleak. It is unrelenting. It is raw. It is just like real life. And as for it being a Christmas film, it is. So therefore, put the two together and what you get, you get the best Christmas film. Mic drop, bitch. Out. Let's let's move on from Mitch with his devil film, which is really fucking good, FYI. And move on to me. It was doing 2010, 2010's Sin or Sin, which is the lovely story of... Someone just went, Dick Moss! Dick Moss! <laughs> Merry Dick Moss! Dick Moss! I, I mean, imagine being called Dick Moss and making this film. It's your destiny. It's a winner already. And it's a lovely film, problematic, but lovely, about um, St. Nicholas. Don't do that fair. So it's the story of, obviously, St. Nick. uh, Back in the day, he's a fucking dickhead. And he, like, goes around, like, back in 1492 or whatever it is set. He goes around and he, like, punishes and kills children and takes them away. And... And then, like, society gets fucking pissed off with him and, like, burn him on his ship. And then years later, he kind of comes back and, like, the legend lives on. Like, St. Nick is not, like, Father Christmas. He's not someone who comes and rewards you. He's someone who comes and takes away the bad children. But in his mind, I think everyone's bad because he just, like, kills people and steals them. And it's an incredible, credible film that does have some problematic moments and I want to address them right now. Um, Yes, we have blackface, which is terrible. In the context of the... I'm not not going to condone blackface. It's not justification. It isn't at all. 
in the context of the film and the the mythology of St. Nicholas and Black Peter, I know why they've done it. I just, I don't condone it. Just want to say that. I think it's just that it's shocking to see because of the world we live in now. I I make it sound like we've come so far in 10 years. I know we haven't come that far, but what I'm saying is with, with the way that we are now and we know how bad that is, I think even though there's a reason behind it, it still doesn't wash. No, it doesn't wash. I mean, and I'll be honest with you, people, everyone, um, I rewatched the film and I was like, oh, shit, what did, what did I pick? But if we take away that moment or the aspect of the film, actually, the rest of the film is fucking amazing. Like, if you think of some of the 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 scenes in that film, such as St. Nicholas running over the roofs of Amsterdam on his horse. You cannot deny that it's fucking incredible. When you get European horror like this, uh, they they tend to have a very specific design and they do it over a few films. Like the design for St. Nick or St. Nicholas in this is the same design as the Dead Snow Zombies. It's kind of like a half mouth face and you've got the teeth that are showing and it, yeah, yeah, yeah. they do it in a really it's done, it's done in a really good way it's done in a proper creepy way not in like a walking dead kind of way so it, they do it in a really good way i think i think it looks quite creepy just like i think the zombies in dead snow and dead snow 2 look quite creepy oh he looks so fucking cool and the fact that you kind of there, there is an, an, an explanation of why he looks that way it's not just like oh we're doing it because it looks cool although gonna say my biggest flaw with this film other than uh, the blackface, is the fact that uh, St. Nick is the only one who doesn't look like he died from burning. No. So, like, mm. The other characters, like all the Black Peters, they all look like they've been charred, whereas he doesn't look like he's been charred, although he was burned. But I think, um, for me, what I love about this film is that it, it kind of almost feels like... Na- Take away the supernatural element of St. Nick, the actual characters feel quite naturalistic, as in they, especially like the three girls, which also has a very Halloween-esque vibe to it, the way that they are with each other. Um, But the interactions between them are pretty, like, normal. And the way that, like, they fuck each other over is... Like, I don't know, like, what I'm used to in the world today. <laughs> Just the way we all fuck each other over. I feel um, sorry for the, who's the one that we find out he's going out with in secret at the start. Is it, is it Lisa? I can't think what the name is. Which one is it? Never mind, it doesn't matter. I feel really, I feel really, doesn't matter. I feel really sorry for the fact that she's got, she's got a little bit of a, she's got a decent part in there to begin with. And then they do nothing with her in the final third. She just goes and just disappears, and we never oh, see her again. Girlfriend, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is she, a bit because they they set up this relationship between them, and then as I say, she he's pretty much goes, "I'm off to do this," and then just goes, and we just don't, we have nothing more to do with her after that, which is a shame because I thought she was pretty good. And it, if you're going to put that effort into actually showing a relationship in the first place, and you probably want to do something with it rather than just dump it in the final bit. I mean, this film, you don't really care. I don't think about its characters, really. They're just they're there to be off sort of thing. I don't think, yeah. they're, I don't think they're there to bring anything deep to the plot. Um, like, I mean, it, not shy in, you know, like killing off a full fucking orphanage full of children. <laughs> burn them. Burn them right up. You know what my favourite thing about this film is? Um, and this sounds terrible. I love everyone and I love life. But the fact that we all know that St. Nicholas steals the children, mm-hmm. he takes them onto his boat, and towards the end of this film, when they're hunting St. Nicholas, they're like, oh my God, we can hear children crying, but they still blow up the boat. <laughs> like, they don't give a shit. Like, they You've got to lose some kids. you got to lose some kids, you know. We've got to lose all the kids, Mum. But no, I think this is, um, obviously as well, it's set in Amsterdam where they celebrate Christmas differently. So like the 25th of December is not Christmas Day for them. Like they do the 5th of December 
which is when they celebrate Christmas, which is why I picked this film. Though, even though in like um, our traditions, it's not Christmas based. This is the Christmas they celebrate. No, but I, I, I picked this film because I think the it definitely plays to traditional Christmas values. Uh, obviously, having Saint Nick in there, but the idea of the idea of Saint Nick being like evil is like not new because Saint Nick is. I think he's typically described as like not a he's not a gift well, giver. Is Saint Nicholas not Krampus? Is it not just Krampus? Yeah. He's not yeah, someone who definitely gives. He's it's just a different, different. Yeah, just a different take. Like every, every, every kind of country has their own tradition on what the anti-Santa is. And, and I think that uh, with this film, he's like, even though everyone like praises him, like if you think of like the earlier scenes where that family are like so excited uh, to have St. Nick appear and then he murders them all. Yeah, um, so even though he's like not like a traditional Christmas like saint, or like he's not the he's not like a gift giver. He's like definitely a taker. They still <laughs> celebrate him. Honestly, childish. Apologies. They still celebrate Saint Nick, um, and the children still like like love him and revere him, and even like the orphanage scene. Like when he comes into the room, yeah, the little face is dry, and then they go, "Oh shit, this is not good." They just start screaming. Yeah, we. I'm I'm surprised that you didn't jump into the best scene from this film straight away because we all know what that is. Um, And I mean, like in particular for me, I've got this thing about I've got to say that I love horror and I watch a lot of horror. I've got a lot of things about horror. I find it particularly creepy when you see stuff on rooftops. So in signs, when you see the alien on the rooftop, scares shit out of me. In a Krampus, when you see the big fucking heaving Krampus where you stack, whoa, jumping over rooftops, scares in me. And it follows when you see the man stood on the rooftop? No, 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 no it scares me about it. But this has the best rooftop scene of any of them. And it's fucking him just riding a horse or a mouse. As Kate said, I drew <laughs> over the rooftops is terrifying. I hundred percent say, and I put it in my notes, and I'll say it right now. That rooftop scene is one of the most iconic scenes for me that I've ever seen in any movie. Mm-hmm. Just the way, just, just the idea of him on his horse, and then like I love the way like he falls through the ceiling. I I, I think that's an incredible incredible moment it also like it i was just gonna say it goes to show like how insanely high budget this is for this concept like the amount of money poured into it it looks incredible Mm. like those action sequences are just massive i think you are like it looks incredible and i think the i love the whole like peter people like when they attack i think that looks incredible especially the scene in the where the three boys are um in the car yeah, like the full-on attack on them. Honestly, I think it looks... I think the film looks incredible. I think the story's fine. When we do get to the end, obviously he's been defeated. Oh, you think he's been defeated because uh, the book's been burnt and all that shit. What isn't so cool is that she rocks up to a hospital and starts having sex with him in the middle of the ward. Like, also, you're on a ward. That's I... what happens when you go private. There's no NHS in Amsterdam. I don't know if there is, but there were. That's happening. I will say, um, I fucking hate the end of the film. I know I'm supposed to love it, but I hate the end when we've run up to I think I like it. I like how it pants around to him in the belfry, just like waiting there and just still being alive. I quite like it. it makes way for a sim too, if it ever happens. I doubt it will. It's years later. They've not mentioned anything. Still waiting on Pontypool 2, whatever. Yeah. We've not talked about this a lot, but I'm going to say it's a fucking wicked film. You all know it's a wicked film, and this is the film you should vote for. Good film. I like I, I like Sint. I've enjoyed everyone's picks this week, which I know goes against absolutely slamming someone's choice as we normally do. But... Chris, I'm going to be honest with you. I enjoyed everyone's films this week except for one person's. Should we move That's on great. to that film, maybe? Can we move yeah, on to can, that? Can we, can, we just, can we just mute Mercer for the next thing? Next ten minutes or so. I fucking hate it. Just remember to be respectful, Mercer. Let's crack on, cause 
as I say, we have this, and then Mitch needs to prep for his absolutely smashing quizzes about that knockout the park. You know me, bringing the fun, as always. Who wants just the gorge on one story throughout an entire film? I know Faye picked something that doesn't, but hers is a TV show, so it doesn't count. Then ghost stories, say ghost watch don't count. Anyway, that's one story, and by the way, as well. We, di- we, di- we digress. The best part of Christmas is that pick-and-mix approach, so you don't get spoiled on just one thing. You can stuff your face full of various different bits and pieces, and that's why my pick for this episode is 2015's A Christmas Horror Story. Thank you very much. Mitch is applauding. Thank you very much, Mitch. Thank you very much, Faye, and Mercer's Foot Goth, which works brilliantly for this section of the, the uh, podcast. All we have here, we have a series of short stories all take place on Christmas Eve. William Shatner is our absolutely brilliant radio host in arguably one of his finest roles of all time. As I say, in a couple of stories, we have the ghost story with the school. We have the Christmas spirit child replacement that Jordan Peele had clearly seen and then ripped off the release us. Legit. <laughs> Legit. We have Krampus. Again, back to Krampus. And then we also have zombie elves. Who doesn't want zombie elves in their lives? Absolutely brilliant. As I say, this, for me, it's just fun. That's all I want at Christmas. What I want at Christmas, I want to sit down, horror movie or not, and be entertained and have a fun time. And each one of these is brilliantly done, packs in all the fun. The acting, some some maybe television level, they might not all be the most gifted of actors, but the way the stories interlink, the fun we have with everyone, the fact that there's no weak parts of this anthology makes me pick this. Anyone else want to weigh in for me, apart from Mercer, because he's... Let somebody, let somebody who likes it speak first before you weigh in, Mercer. Yeah. I love A Christmas Horror Story. I think it's fun. I think I like the way it's not just a segment by segment. It's interlinked. You get bits of the story throughout, which I really, really like, because then you're not, to, you're not set focused on one. And the way they all interlink, I mean, obviously you have the ending that interlinks them all. However, you start to get bits of stories from other ones as well, which I really liked. Um, I think the costume design of the Krampus in it is brilliant. I think having William Shatner in is a stroke of genius. And I do think that the wraparound is one of the best wraparounds of any anthology out there. So good. So good. It really fucking is. Do you know that Krampus isn't a suit either? Like, that's that bloke just just whited up. I asked that question. I went, is that guy just ripped or is that a suit? He's just huge. Fucking hell, there you go. There you go. I'm going to be a dick. Sunday, I'm going to be a dick. Um, I actually, I think that the individual stories are really quite good. I do not like the way that we don't get to engage with the characters enough before it flips to the next story. So do you so, not like what Faye likes? Do you not like the way that, like, the film works pacing-wise, like a, just, a traditional no. movie? You get, like, three first acts, three second acts, and then three third acts, yeah. Well, for me, I would have loved to have watched each story individually in full. Um, okay. I, find, I find the way that it, like, jumps from one story to the other. Like, again, personal, I just find it, like, it doesn't give us enough time to like um, engage with the characters. I can I can understand what you mean, Mercedes. There's some weird cutting off points as well where they decide to jump to the other stories. But as I, I think they're very much kind of with its recent, in fact, it's very a recent release as well. I think they've very much gone for the kind of not you don't have the attention span to be able to have there and sit and expect someone to sit there and watch. Free story True. to get into it. I agree with you on that, but the fact that the stories are continuous, I get like people don't have an attention span. But by jumping from story to story, I don't think we actually acknowledge an actual attention span because it gets confusing. I don't have a really good attention span. But in an anthology film, they could have played them films out like 20 minutes. I think what it does, whilst it may lack. Like- Whilst it may lack in any 
like not any, but whilst it may lack in character building that you're searching for, I think the clever thing it does is it manages to interlink them in such a way that you might not notice if I don't see the interlink. Like the Krampus turns up in the one with the Krampus things and at the end to fight Santa. The cop, the father in the um, doppelganger segment, or the, you know, the, yeah, the doppelganger segment, he is also um, the cop who went off duty for the kids who went into the basement. So they do have all these, and I think sometimes if you're doing it in individual stories, it might be something that you might miss. But I think they do it in such a way that it plays quite nicely into each other. But again, just my opinion. It's also got the best, one of the best lines out of any of these four films in it. Do you want to deliver it, Faye? I fucking do, yes. So it's at the beginning where the elves start turning. or one, We see one of them, is it Sparkle, who starts turning? And um, Mrs. Claus is asking, oh, do you want a cookie? Do you want a cookie? And he turns around and he says, no, I don't want a cookie, you reindeer fucking snow whore. And it's Amazing. Good. Mercy, you're on mute. He's on mute. Oh, what a tragedy, isn't it? What a shame. <laughs> Should we unmute him? There we go. You're bad, Mercy. having an opinion, everyone. <laughs> that wasn't what it was. This is my life. I'm fucking censored. I'm a homosexual male who's censored by these straight, upper-class people and Mitch. Mate, you've never, had it, you've never had it as bad as a cis white male. No. Exactly. I don't know what it's like to be a cis white male. No. Anywho. You do make pro-censorship a thing. Like, people are going to start liking Mary Whitehouse because of you, you know, so Mercer. Mary Whitehouse is like my mother. There we go. There we go. Got it here. Also, I never said anything wrong. All I said was, I like the film. <laughs> I just don't want the way the stories are split up. So if you, if you are quickly talking about the segments themselves, like as individual stories, I do think that the, um, I mean, the Krampus one's good, but it is essentially Krampus, is it not? You know, it, it's coming to seek revenge on someone through an ornament, and that's the whole deal with Krampus, basically. Um, but I do like the the doppelganger segment, of, or the doppelganger the story in it. The changing story is incredible. It's very much a load of people get get what's coming to them, essentially. Because even, even with the Christmas story with the students, they're not, she is not a particularly likeable lead or character. No. You see, you don't get a great deal of exposure to her, but what you do immediately is like, you know what, I don't particularly like them, unless they, they're breaking into the school as well. They're not everyone, then with the family with the Krampus, the dad with the... Doppelganger. Yeah, they should have trespassed and gone and stolen yeah. a tree. That's that's my favourite part of the doppelganger episode as well, where she gets where she gets the phone call from the guy who's landed is, and gets really pissy with him over the fact that he's he wants to speak to her when she's gone and wandered onto his land and fucking cut down a tree. Also, left it days to get in contact with her, knowing what she's living with. He's like, no, I'll just leave it for a while. I think it feels like days there because the film breaks it up into like five million different segments for no reason at all. The segment with the kids, which I don't believe we've discussed, is that they are searching out basically an urban legend kind of thing, um, something that happened on Christmas Eve in their school, and they're going to do a report on it sort of thing. And they get trapped down there and become possessed by the ghost of the girl who's in the basement. And it's, that's not pos- it's not ghost story possession kind of stigmata kind of thing going on. Got some perfectly functional jump scares in there. As I say, she, as a a lead, is engaging enough that you want to see what happens to her and unlikable enough that you want to see her actually suffer, as a a lot of it, as already said, with a lot of the characters in this. And the clever thing that this does as well is, as you believe in throughout, that you are watching essentially a fourth segment um, and you, you think it's William Shatner just bringing it, well, you, you think the tie around is William Shatner bringing it together because he's a radio host and he's like making comments on, you know, Fry's radio show, what's happening and whatnot. So you think he's essentially going to be like, you, you, you're, um, what do you call him, from Tales of the Crypt, you creeper. So I think that's what you think he's going to be. But it actually turns out that the wraparound, well, the end of it is that the guy who's been playing Santa, trying to ward off these evil elves, isn't actually a Santa at all, and he's just gone mental. 
and yeah. he's having a breakdown in the middle of a mall thinking that he's Santa Claus just fucking killing all these people. It's so amazing. No- Stormy Norman. Yeah, <laughs> to be fair, the ending, like, that story, like, when we get that, like, reveal is incredible. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy that. Part. I didn't see it coming. First time I watched it, I was like, yeah. that's brilliant. No, it's a really cool moment. It's definitely, like, um, a shock. Yeah. Not a shock to the system. That's that's dramatic. But it's definitely, like, a moment where you go, yeah, did not see that happening. No. I guess with leaving Mitch to go and get set up and get ready for his big fat horror quiz of the year, which we all massively excited to be taking part in. And if you listen to this, obviously after the quiz is gone, I'm assuming that Spit Grave will have won. So well done, Mercer. Well done, Faye. It's a Woo! spectacular effort from you and me. To sum up Christmas Horror Story, a series of short, brilliant horror stories tied together with an absolutely fantastic wraparound from a magnetic, charismatic gorgeous William Shatner and it's fun and what should the holidays be if not fun and that's why you should be voting a Christmas Horror Story Alrighty Chris where can people find Spitgrades if they're not familiar if you want to find us no problem if you want to find us you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Spitgrades we are I Spit on Your Grave on Facebook if you want to email us for any reason you can reach us at electricpossums at gmail.com and please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe if you've enjoyed this episode and if you want to tell people about us don't tell them about Mercy, you'll scare them off but if you want to tell people about what we do and if you think people enjoy it then please do recommend us to your friends word of mouth is so important in the podcasting game we will put this episode out, obviously you'll be listening to it, this episode will not only live today also going to come out as a regular episode we will open the voting as well as per usual so that you can vote on your favourite festive horror and we will be back for the results show and possibly Mitchell Harrod as well to join us when we get those results through Woo! I'm down Alrighty then thanks guys, thanks so much for joining me as always and I hope you've enjoyed the Soho Ho Horror Fest Thank you for having us Thank you